Okay, so we've been going through the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And between the Old and the New Testament, there's a 400-year gap where the Lord prophecies. Um, God is still active, but we've got to understand that when the New Testament opens, then it's the fulfillment of the prophecies. And we will see that. And we see the relationship between the Old and the New Testament as we go through the book of Malachi. So we're up to chapter 2. So if someone can read for us um, chapter 2, verse 1 through to 9. Now we're not going to cover all those verses, but if we could read those verses to get an idea of where we're up to. So it's Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 through to 9. Who's going to be brave enough to read out? <coughs> Great. Super. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be lifted off, you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True, instruct true instruction was on his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned from many from sin. For the lips of a priest taught to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Great, thanks, that's really good. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you that as we come to this passage, you will just show us what you want us to know from it, that we might take it away and consider it, that it might be, yes, a challenge to us, but also it might be an encouragement to us. And Father, we just ask that you lead us through this together as we gather here in your precious name. Amen. 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 Okay, so before we look at this uh, passage, I want us to go forward from the book of Malachi and to go into Luke's Gospel. Now, you need to turn to it, but it's so that we can highlight the importance of what is happening here at the time of Malachi. By moving away from the promise that God had given them, they're actually jeopardizing the promise that God had given, not just to them, but to the rest of the world. In other words, these people in the days of Malachi that we're reading about, they are part of something which is much bigger. It goes beyond them and their lives. That's how important it is. It is to do with them, but it's not just to do with them. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2. And it's the little bit of the uh, Christmas story. So, a nice, nice sunny day. Halfway through this, it might start snowing, I don't know. But here you go. 
Just listen to these words, and it's Luke chapter 2, 25 through to 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Okay, now, back to the priests in the days of Malachi. What had happened is, and we've already seen this in the first chapter as we've been through it, they have lost sight of the purpose that the Lord had for them. Their fulfillment in life, it wasn't just to satisfy their personal desires, but it was to be, and listen to this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people, Israel. That was their task. Because they were going to introduce the one who is the light of the world, that is, Jesus. And that's what Jesus said when he, he preached, when he went around, he said that he was the light of the world, the light that these people were responsible for preserving and then introducing as the Messiah, the light of the world. So a quick reminder of what we looked at in verse 1 and 2 of this chapter. Verse 1. Now you priests, this warning is for you. So there's no doubt here who God is speaking to through the words of Malachi. He's now focusing his attention on the priest. Then in verse 2, if you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honour me. This evening, we're just going to look firstly at the first part of verse 3 of chapter 2. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. Okay, what, what does that mean? They're going to be punished now because of the way they've moved away from God. And God has warned them, if you don't turn back, then you will suffer. Now, what does this rebuke your descendants mean? Well, it could be a direct reference to the children, to the seed of the priests, meaning that their children will suffer from the consequences of their refusing to repent. And that would be the case that everyone would suffer. But it could be that their children would suffer as well. It could be that they um, would then not have as many children as they wanted to have. We don't know. We just know that this is because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. It could also mean that the seed that the people sold for the food would not bear fruit. 
and so they would suffer from that. In other words, there'd be famine. And whichever way it was, either way, the refusal to repent would bring suffering. And if you think about what we've read already, our text tells us that this is already happening. This is a warning to these priests. Second part of verse 2. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honour me. You see, the rot had already started the second. And that to them should have been a warning. They could see what was happening. And that should have pulled them up in their tracks so that they could say, yes, we've got to do something about this. And what they needed to do was turn back to God. Now, what we've got to remember is that these are the people. This is Israel. Now, we've got all the history in the Old Testament. And these are the people who have that history. Their forefathers had suffered 70 years of exile at the hands of the Babylonians. Why? Because they had rejected the Lord. They'd gone their own way. They'd moved away from God. God warned them. And God said, if you don't change and turn back, then you will suffer. And they suffered 70 years of exile in Babylon. What did the people do who were exiled in Babylon? What was it like for them? Well, we can look at Scripture and we can see what it was like for them. You can imagine, you know, your city's been destroyed, the temple's been destroyed, the best of the people have been taken away, those who are left are having to live in the land that's been devastated by the Babylonians. All the good stuff's gone, all the, the good crops have been taken, all the, the, the animals would have been taken, all the farm animals. They would have suffered those who stayed behind, left behind, and the Babylonians took the people they wanted. And we know that. And those people went into exile. And it would have been a lot. What did they do? Well, what they did over those 70 years was they remembered the Lord. They longed for freedom. And they cried out for him for deliverance. See, when you lose something, you start to appreciate it even more. And they started to look back at what they had. And they regretted what they'd done. And they began to turn back to the Lord. They longed for freedom. And in that longing for freedom, they knew that only God could deliver them. So they started to turn back to the Lord. They cried out. I'm going to read a psalm. You can turn to it. It's Psalm 137. And this psalm um, was sung as a song by Boney M. By the rivers of Babylon. Remember? By the rivers of Babylon. Well, listen. Google the words and read through it. Because what they've done, they've taken this psalm, 137, and they've mixed it with Psalm 19. Okay? And it tells of um, the, the distress that was there. But in the song, it's more of a jolly type thing, you know. By the rivers. You know, and it goes along and you think, oh, that's great, you know. A lot of, no, no, no. There's a lot of pain in there. And you will see it if you listen to the if you listen to the words of the song, but more so if you look at Psalm uh, 137 
and look at Psalm 19 and see the little bit in Psalm 19 that they slipped in to, to that song. Okay, a little task for you there. But I'm going to read to you that psalm. It's only a short psalm. And I want you to think about this. These are the people that are in exile. They know that their land has been destroyed. They know there's, their, there's some of their family are still living back there and struggling. And the, the others have been taken and they're being used and turned into slaves. And, you know, it was a hard time. Okay, here's the psalm. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. And they said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? You see, these people are lost. And they're without hope. Then the song goes on. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. <clears throat> may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Well, what are they doing here? They're holding on to something that they know will give them hope. They have a hope. And they're holding on to that hope. Then the song goes on. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You see, in their hope of going back to their own land, being set free, they're crying out to God. And they want revenge as well. That's a natural reaction. You hear that in the end of that psalm. But we know that the Lord did deliver them. He freed them. The Persian army came, destroyed the Babylonians, and the Persians gave them a degree of freedom. And the Lord made sure that they, his people, were given the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city walls, to rebuild the temple, but more importantly, to rebuild the relationship with God. See how important this is? All these people in the days of Malachi could look at that and see what God had done for their nation and seen the pain that their predecessors had gone through because they turned away from the Lord and now they're turning away from the Lord. So they should start to realize and God is speaking to them through the prophet of Malachi. In the days of Malachi, what are they doing? They're back in the land. The temple has been rebuilt, not, not as big as the original one. The city walls are there. They're back worshipping. They're able to have the freedom to, to come into the presence of God in, in the temple and give their sacrifices. But what are they doing? Well, we've already seen that in the first chapter of Malachi. They've lost their love for God. They show contempt of the Lord's name. They defile his altar. 
They have no respect for God. They dishonor God. And when challenged to their faces, they then, to the face of God, try to justify their actions by saying, and we've seen this, we're not doing anything wrong. What are we doing wrong? We open the temple doors. We welcome the people in. We accept the offerings that they bring. What more do you want us to do? Now, we've already seen in the previous chapter that these offerings are defiled offerings. And what they're doing is not for God, it's for themselves. And for what they can get out of it. Now, listen to what God is going to do. This is the second part of verse 3. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. Strong words. Strong words. This is a graphic and a disgusting metaphor. And it's meant to be repulsive. I, I looked around at some of your faces when we read that verse and one or two were... <laughs> And that's the effect it's meant to have. And you might think, how could God say this? He's got every right to say this. He's got every right. I will smear your faces with dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. The internal organs, the waste products of the sacrifice. And there were hundreds of sacrifices. There'd be an awful lot of this stuff around. There'd be tons of it. And this, the waste product, had to be taken outside the city precincts. Now, figuratively speaking, to be smeared on the faces of the priests as a representation of the sacrificial offerings that are being, if you like, in a, a say this reverently, shoved in the face of God, because that's what they were doing. Oh, this will be all right. We're not supposed to bring the defiled animals, the lame, the sick. We're supposed to bring the best of the flock. But it's an animal, and it won't matter. And they bring it to the priests, and the priests say, yeah, okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We'll do it. This is literally slapping the face of God. So do you understand how he has every right to say what he says when he says that? It's a metaphor. But it represents what they are doing to God. In fact, he's already said that sooner you just lock the doors and don't come in the temple at all. That would be better than doing what you're doing. So how important was the, the role that they had in God's plan? How important was it? These are the priests, these are the Levites. The tribe of Levi. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of history. Um, it's in the Bible, and you can check it out. But the tribe of Levi are a classic example of God's mercy and God's grace. So get hold of that. 
the tribe of Levi are an example of God's mercy and God's grace. Why do I say that? You go to Genesis chapter 29, uh, 49 and you can read through that chapter. But what happens there is Jacob gets his 12 sons around him and he blesses his 12 sons. So each individual son comes before him for his father's blessing. And as Jacob blesses his sons, he refers to Simeon and Levi as being weapons of violence. And he says to them, so fierce and their fury so cruel, I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. They're supposed to receive a blessing. But that's what their father Jacob said to them, these two sons. Read Genesis 49, you can see why he said that, because of what they did. But from what Jacob said to them, this is the meaning of it, this is the result of it, that they had, and remember, they were going to go to the promised land. The children of Israel, all those families of those 12 sons were going to go into the promised land, led by Moses taken in with Joshua. <coughs> but for those tribes, they had no permanent inheritance rights in the Promised Land. Now, if you read about when they got there, what happened to the tribe of Levi was that they were allocated towns within the other brother's land. They didn't have their own land. Simeon, well, that tribe actually merged with the tribe of Judah and eventually there's no more. This is God's judgment. But we're going to see God's grace because the tribe of Levi who'd been disgraced by their father Jacob was now going to be forgiven, restored. And they were going to become an example to the people of God's grace. From the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi was given the honor of being the spiritual and the moral leaders of the nation. Numbers 3 verse 1. This is the account of the family of Aaron and Moses at the time the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Further down in Numbers 3, verse 5 and 7, the Lord said to Moses, bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. And that work would continue through the work of the tabernacle onto the work of the temple. A testimony to the people of God's mercy and grace. Their task was to convince the people of their sin, to teach them God's commandments, to lead them in their worship, show them the love that God has for them so that they can live a life worthy of the Lord, the Lord who had delivered them so that the nations around them 
could see in them something of the glory of the God who they worshipped. That was their task. In other words, going back to Luke's Gospel, to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of God's people, Israel. That's the bigger picture. That's the big picture. That's how important their task was. The reference to the waste byproduct of the sacrifices being smeared on their faces of the priests is saying that they were ceremonially unclean and they would have no, or they would have to be permanently removed from office. That was the judgment on them if they refused to turn back to God. When we come to Malachi verse 4 and 6, and I want us just to briefly look at these verses now, because despite their disobedience, despite the fact that they were seen as being unworthy and now would no longer be able to do their job, there were the faithful who were there. And despite their disobedience, the promise given to Levi would still be honoured. The promise that was given to them that they would be responsible for the spiritual welfare of the people. And that was their responsibility. And God would honour that. Verse 4 of chapter 2. I'm just going to read this through. 4 through 6. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. So God's plan will continue, despite the fact that these priests were leading the nation astray, moving them further away from God. And we're going to hear more of that as we go through the booth of uh, Malachi. But we're also going to see um, how important the priesthood is. But that's next time. So what we're going to do now, um, I'm going to throw it open. Um, and if you want to mention anything that we've looked at or you want to um, maybe discuss something, but also I've got a few questions that you might want to consider. The first one is...